So yeah, we're in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's been a, a great letter to go through so far, and uh, we're in chapter 4 today. I'd encourage you to hear Nick's message last week. If you haven't heard it, it was a really uh, helpful message. And today we're looking at life, life in all its fullness. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance, have it in its fullness. And uh, in this book so far, we've looked at the first half, there's six chapters, we've looked at the first three chapters, and as we have, um, uh, we have seen this incredible story uh, of the salvation of God that has been his plan from eternity past, that before the foundations of the world, he chose us and formed us in Christ. He brought about this work of salvation, one for us by Jesus, and gave us a new identity that he would unite all things in himself, that we would be called those who are in Christ. This wonderful accomplishment that was given to us, uh, sorry, that gave us life, was that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived the perfect life as a warrior, as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, as a man with such courage, going through such difficult life, but always staying true to the Father's will lived the perfect life, and died the sinner's death in our place, substituting our sin for his righteousness, giving us his perfect record, and taking his, our uh, sinful record upon himself and being punished in our place so that we could be set free. And then, three days later, rising to new life to show he had defeated and conquered sin and death and that in his victory, we are victorious. This is the message that Paul has been explaining to the Ephesians for the first three chapters. And it is glorious that he has called all of us together in this gospel message. And now we're going to see what happens in the second half. We have already have started to see what happens in the second half as we have opened up chapter 4. Because the second half is where Paul says, okay, that is what has happened and you've been given a new identity, and now we look at what that identity starts to look like, what it practically works out as. So it's very helpful for the rest of this letter. We'll be looking at very practical uh, implications of this life that Jesus has won for us. Let's have a look at verses 17 to 24 of chapter 4. It says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to the uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." I'm going to pray and let's jump into it. Father, we just thank you so much. You have come in the form of Jesus. We thank you, God. You've come in the form of Jesus into humanity that we may know life and know it in all its fullness. 
that you have come to those who were lost. You come to those who were dead and you have given us life. You have given us meaning. You've given us purpose. You've given us joy. You've given us peace. You've made a way where there was no way. And I do pray this morning that you might encourage us, that you might galvanize us, that you might strengthen us. Those who are weary, I pray, would you encourage them with hope? Lord, this morning, we pray that we would be stirred to the truth this morning where we can easily believe deception. Lord, come and move among us by your Holy Spirit. As our eyes are closed, I encourage you, just pray a quick prayer. Father God, speak to me this morning by your Holy Spirit, by your word, soften my heart. Amen. Amen. So, it's an interesting passage, and the way it opens up shows us that there's gravity to what Paul wants to say. There's something about this that he is saying, this is important, because he starts by saying, now I say and testify in the Lord. He wants to testify. That's something you do before a court of law. I, I testify that, you know, before these people, this is truth, what I'm saying. I'm saying something is truth. I'm, I'm, I'm under oath. This is true, what I'm about to say. It's important you understand the truth of this. And another uh, sort of definition of testify is to give, give evidence. I can testify. I'm able to testify that this is true. This has been my experience. This has been what I found out. I testify in the Lord with God as my witness. God has charged me to charge you. God wants you to know this. It's important that you don't walk as you used to. You don't walk as the Gentiles do. There's gravity in what he is saying here. Gravity in what he is calling us to. He wants us to walk a certain way. Now, we just revert back to the first verse of chapter 4 where, where Paul was saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The second half of this, chap, this, this book, as I was saying to you, is about the walk. Christianity is a walk. It's very easy for us to, to fall into the mindset that, that, that Christianity is about uh, a bunch of rules or a bunch of beliefs, but no, there is an everydayness to the walk of Christianity. God has called us to walk in clothing. He has called us to walk in truth, to walk a certain way, to, to, to bear fruit. It's not just a set of ideas, not just a box to tick on a form, not just a box to tick hoping that it means you will get to heaven. Paul calls it a walk, and he urges us to walk in a certain manner and to not walk in a different manner. There's beauty and importance to the small decisions that we are called to. There's beauty and importance to the big decisions. There is a direction. You were going one way, and now I've called you to go another way. There is an outworking of belief. There is a new allegiance. I was after something. I was running away from God, and now he's called me to walk towards him, to trust him, to go his way in the small and in the big. There is no insignificance in walking towards God. There's a flesh to put on the bones of learning and understanding. There's abundant life to be experienced. This is what Jesus said. I came to give you life 
in abundance, in its fullness. I want you to experience it. We'll need stamina. We'll need endurance. And I've hoped and I've prayed for this message that some of you who know, I lack stamina. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of this life. But this morning you'll be reminded, this is about life in abundance. It's worth pushing through. And we'll talk this morning, and we know the experience of pushing as Christians against the tide of the world, against the fleshly desires that come at us. We have to push against, and it is tiring, and we do need stamina. So we need to be convinced this is life. He's won for us life in abundance. It's easy to slip into that mindset like a child in the backseat of a long journey in the car who says every now and then, are we nearly there yet? Because I knew when I got in the car we were going somewhere. I don't care about the journey. I just want to get to the destination. And as Christians, we can think, I became a Christian so I'd go to heaven. Am I nearly there yet? I'm just sitting here. I'm just passive. I just want to get there. Uh, And we miss the beauty around us of God saying, no, I want to call you to walk with me. Life in abundance is for now. It's not just for when you get to heaven. He asks, uh, because you haven't understood sometimes that grace and life with Jesus is to be enjoyed in the present. God meets us, walks with us in the walk. As we heard last week in that passage, that, that God's desire is for us to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in maturity. And that happens in this life as we choose him, as we walk and run after him. It's not just for us to get a ticket to heaven, but for us to know him. So Paul says it's important for us to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer. We once were, all of us once were walking. I, keep, I need to remember which direction I'm going here on the stage. Which way's away from God? We were walking away from God. Let's say God's over here. We were walking. He's everywhere, but for this illustration. We were walking away. I've got a whiteboard and everything. I'll, I'll use it in a minute. We're walking away from God, and he's turned us back to him. We are now walking towards him. Don't walk as the Gentiles do, as you used to do. Now, you might have caught this, that it's interesting he uses the word Gentiles, because only a few chapters ago, he's saying, the Gentiles are in. The Gentiles are included. You can be the people of God as well. It's not just Jews who had traditionally and historically been God's people, but but Christ had made it possible for all people through him to come to God. Why would he now say, don't walk as the Gentiles, when he said the Gentiles are in? Well, just want to explain that for this sentence, what he's talking about is those who are still not given their life through Christ to God. Those who have not trusted in the person and work of Jesus for their salvation. They are people who have still rejected God. He's using it as a phrase that would explain that. Don't walk as those in the world. Don't walk as those who have, are aliens to God, who have still rejected God. And he uses this, this phrase that is quite stark. He says, in the futility of their minds. Futility is a strong word. Futility means emptiness uselessness, pointlessness, the futility of their mind. How can he be so strong to use that word futility in those that don't know God? When we look at what he said in other uh, books, he said to, Paul said to the Corinthians in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. 
For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. How can he use this word futile? What's so empty about the wisdom of the world? Well, the point here is the wisdom, the wisdom of the world doesn't understand that the world is about God. It's all his. It's all for his glory. He is the centerpiece. It all emanates from him. It's all going to culminate in him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him, and it was all created for him and by him and through him. It's all for him, and those who reject that don't understand the point. They don't understand the point of life. He says again to what, in 1 Corinthians 1, the world's wisdom does not know God. It doesn't know God. Even the greatest minds that can know things that I would never comprehend, I would never understand, They're much more clever than I am. But if they don't know God, they don't know the meaning of the things that they know. They don't know the purpose of the things that they know. I mean, you you can see this. People like Richard Dawkins, even the atheist community are getting embarrassed of him. Because he says stuff that doesn't make sense. But but he is more intelligent than I am. You know a lot more than I do. But it's like he's got his fingers in his ears. I'm not listening My heart is hard. I don't want anything to do with God. And therefore, even in his intelligence, he doesn't have meaning. It's futile. Romans 8, 7 says this, The mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. See, our disposition in Adam... In our father Adam, when Adam sinned and the whole of humanity turned away from God, our disposition and the futility of our mind was hostile to God, was to reject God and flee from him at every opportunity. So God is here and our disposition is away from God, all all the time, and everything we do, away from God. We have nothing to fight it. Say this is our hard heart. If you put the ball on there, it's going to go that direction every time. Everything we do, we're away from God, into futility. That's what he's saying here. Let's have a look at these verses, because he explains himself. They are verses 18 to 18 and 19. They're darkened in their understanding because they're alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of their hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's a, there's a, there's a logical step here. There's a darkening. People have been deceived. They're deceived they're darkened in their understanding. They don't know what life is about because they're alienated from the life of God. That is what bears fruit in our life. You see, something is futile if it is impotent. If it doesn't bear the fruit that it was made to bear, it's futile. God has created our minds and us to bear fruit to the glory of his goodness, to the glory of his name. And if we're not able to bear that, we are futile. We are made to bear fruit. We are made for goodness of God, to bear fruit. And we've been alienated from the life of God that is potent to bear fruit. We are ignorant of the truth of 
God's love. We are deceived. And that comes from hearts that have been hardened. That's what he says is at the root of this. Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are callous. And what is the result? Futility. Emptiness. Given up to urges. We turn away from God. We turn away from life. We turn away from joy, peace. We turn away from fruit, bearing fruit, and we turn towards futility. What does he say here? We turn towards uh, darkness, deception. We are deceived. Okay? We turn to lostness, and we give ourselves to urges. He says to sensuality. I think you could broaden that out to whatever we feel like. We go after our urges. We go after our desires. Whatever feels right and good in the moment. We are hungry for satisfaction. We are hungry and we want to get it from anywhere other than God. Anything we can do to get away from God, to find our heart's desire. And what do we find? Futility. What do we find? Emptiness. Our hard hearts are determined to run from the light. We're determined to reject God. And as they do, they run hungry for satisfaction in life, but they cannot find it outside of God who is life. God who offers life. God who says, come to me and know life in its fullness. And yet we do everything we can to run away from God. So, so people like Jim Carrey, who said this famous quote, which I haven't written in my notes, so I'll have to see it on the screen. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Everyone should experience that. That's empty. We all chase after these things. If I get money, if I, if I can get fame, if I can just do it, then I, but we find futility. It's not the answer. So our only hope comes back to what Paul has been explaining in the first three chapters. Our hope comes back to this great story of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember in chapter 2 it said, we were without hope. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were without God. But that through Jesus' death and resurrection, paying for my rebellion, I've been born again. I'm a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So, so this was our old self. Paul was saying, this is what you were like. You were always in every uh, disposition going away from God. What was the phrase in, um, in the Romans thing, the Romans passage? The mind of the flesh. Okay, this is the mind of the flesh. It's in Adam. In Adam, we are always disposed to go running from God. And this is the answer Paul is saying to, to the followers of Jesus. Don't fall back into futility. Don't fall back into what is not you anymore. Put on what is already yours. That's the next Point. Put on what is already yours. What God has won for you in Jesus. You notice he doesn't say, you've got to create a new self. You've got to somehow win your salvation. You've got to earn your salvation. No, he says this, a new self has been created for you. 
You are his workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2. You are his work of art, some of, these passage, uh, some of the translations say. You are his work of art. He's created you anew. Now Paul calls us to walk in that. Walk in who you really are. So this was your old self, and everything you did was away from God. This was the mind of the flesh. Now, in Christ, this is your new story. In Christ, no longer in Adam. Mind of, what does it say in what verse 24 is it? Mind of the Spirit. New self. Now, naturally, God has created us now to go towards him. And as we do, we go towards life. We go towards joy and peace and fruit. We go away from futility. Paul is saying, now this is your journey. This is your story. Don't try to go that way. Yeah, we do that. Don't push against. It's exhausting. Some of the most miserable people are Christians who are still trying to go that way. Still trying to work against what God has for them. No, put on the new clothing. Put on who you have been made to be in Jesus. No God, no life, no fruit. It doesn't mean that when you aren't praying or reading your Bible or in church that you're sinning or that you're alienated from the life of God, it means that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God, and you'll find life becomes full, rather than being futile. It becomes fruitful. If you know something is opposite to what God has clearly taught, then abandon it to the futility that it is. This is futile. What am I doing? If there are things that you love that are neutral, bring them under the rule of God, and you'll find they're fruitful. Do you love sport? Great. Don't feel you need to stop sport because you're a Christian. Bring it under the rule and reign of Christ and you'll find it's fruitful. It bears fruit. Do you love intellectualism? Do you love politics? Do you love science? Do you love your family? Do you love adrenaline thrills? Do you love parties? Now listen to how awesome this is. If you have enjoyed those things in futility... If you've enjoyed them even when they have been empty of life and impotent to accomplish what God intended them to accomplish in and through you, imagine how incredible and how mind-bendingly amazing they could be within the hands of the one who is life. He is life itself. It's doing these things under the rule and reign of Jesus and trusting his ways first that you'll find they really come alive as God intended them to be. Do you love parties? Great. Have parties. Have parties to the glory of God. Honor God. Watch fruit grow as people are loved and cared for and celebrated and protected and encouraged. And there is peace and love and gentleness and goodness in your parties because you bring it under the reign and rule of Christ. That's what it is to put on the clothing of Jesus, to put on the clothing of the new self. Do you love making money? Great. Do it honestly. Honor God. Honor people you're in business with. Be careful and accountable because money can be dangerous. And use the money to glorify God. Trust him and making money will turn from a futile, dead and empty way of living to a fruitful part of an abundant life. 
Do you love sex? Great. Pursue marriage, commit to one spouse, and care for them more than yourself. Honor them and honor God, and enjoy sex to the glory of God. Trust God, and having sex turns from a futile, dead, and empty way of living to a fruitful part of an abundant life. Hey, are you creative? Is that my wife? Are you creative? Are you creative? Are you, are you ordered? Are you emotional? Are you stubborn? Are you passionate? Are you loud? Are you quiet? Are you slow and precise? Are you angry? That's okay. Do these things and don't sin. The Bible says, be angry, don't sin. Bring them under the rule and reign of Christ and you'll bear fruit. I know parents whose children have been extremely hard work because they were so stubborn. And then later on, as these children became teenagers and came under the rule and reign of Christ, they became stubborn Christians in their schools. And their, their life came under the rule of Christ and it, God channeled it into a way where they could bear fruit. Stubbornness isn't wrong, but do it to the glory of God and you'll know life. To take off the old and put on the new is not to check into a monastery and only ever speak in tongues. It's to bring your life into line with what Jesus has done in you. To trust God's ways and wisdom and also to trust in his salvation. Not trying to accomplish it on yourself. Not trying to accomplish it, but trusting in his work and glorifying him and experiencing a life that is growing in fullness year upon year. Paul said to the Corinthians, we don't lose heart. Our outer self's wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. He is working about his glory in us as he makes us more like himself. And I wanted to say this as well. It does not simply mean putting on the new self. It does not mean being nice. It doesn't mean being middle class. It doesn't mean being safe. Verse 24 says this. It says it means to be in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, that's a great description of Jesus, who was fully in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. It's about the most Christ-like thing you could say. And as we said in the last passage, he said, that is God's desire for us, to grow up into Christ, to grow up in maturity. He wants us to grow Christ-like. That's his desire, not just to be nice and certainly not middle class. Jesus was not middle class. He was homeless. And he was always upsetting the establishment. He was upsetting those who everyone else wanted to impress. He wasn't nice. He called his best friend Satan. He called his mum woman. He called people who were in control, uh, who were in leadership positions, snakes and vipers. He told people to drink his blood and eat his flesh. He called a man to follow him. And when the man said he would, but first he had to go and bury his father, who had just died, Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. That's not nice. How many of you would be offended if someone said that to you? Jesus was not scared of offending people. I love that about him. What Christianity is not is just safe. Just nice. Just toe the line. Just don't upset people. Just keep everyone happy and just be nice. 
I mean, it must have been so difficult to follow Jesus. Could you imagine if he called 12 Englishmen to follow him? Jesus, please stop it. It's frightfully embarrassing. You know, as he's going about spitting in mud and wiping it in someone's face. He heard his best friend was about to die, and then he stayed where he was instead of going to help him. He called important leaders. I've said that, snakes and hypocrites. And one time, he, he, he made a whip. He went and fashioned a whip. It must have taken him a good half an hour at least, maybe longer, so that he could go into the temple and turn over tables and, and, and drive out the marketplace. He spent time with prostitutes and sinners. And maybe you're someone who thinks to be a good Christian is to, is to, is to recycle and maybe be vegan and be an animal lover. Well, one time Jesus sent uh, demons into 200 pigs and they ran down a hill and drowned. Animal lovers, what do you say to that? He wasn't safe. Perhaps we think safety is so important. I'm a Christian, I've got to be safe. Well, he took the disciples into a storm on a boat. They were terrified. He got a terrorist and a tax collector together in his life group. He walked into a group of people who wanted to throw him off a cliff. And he walked out the other side and they didn't know where he went. And he carried his own cross. And he laid down his life. And he called me. He's not safe. He's good. He's God. He's far too good. Holiness and godliness and righteousness is not about just being nice and safe. He's not placid. He's not a coward. He's far too glorious and far too good for that. He was God. And we're not called to be placid. We're not called to be nice, to toe the line. We're not called to lifeless futility. We're called to fruitfulness. We're called to Christ-likeness. It will sometimes be uncomfortable. It will sometimes be embarrassing. And it will mean death to boring cowardice and futility. Hallelujah. I love this Jesus. I don't want a boring life. I don't want to toe the line. I want life that is purposeful, that means something, and that's what he's come to give. Paul says, put on the new. Trust in what God has called you to. Put on life. Now, I was thinking about my 22-month-old little girl. And uh, she is adorable, and I am besotted with her. I love her, and I want the best for her in every area of life. I want her to know life in abundance. I want her to know fruitfulness. I want her to know true love and protection, and I want her to know joy and peace. I want the best for her in every area of life. And often when I ask her to do something, her immediate reaction is, no, no. No. And yesterday I was playing one of those silly games, you know, where you, it's electric and you, you put the fishing rod in and the fish are going around, they just open their mouths and close it. And uh, she had it, the fishing rod the wrong way around so that it had no hook on the end. She was just putting a thing in their mouth. It didn't do anything. So I turned it round, put it back in her hand, turned it round again, put it back in. <laughs> yeah, about three or four times. I put it, I turned it round, she turns it round again. No, I went that way. Dad, I'm almost two years old. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know how this works. I know what I want, and I will go my own way. And what happens? 
It's futility from a father who wants her best. Sometimes it's just from God. It's just you need to believe him when he says, it's not, it's not necessarily like you're seeing like this terrible sin, but it's just not what we're doing right now. Are you happy to let God say to you, that's just not what we're doing right now? But I want to do it. Yeah, we're not doing that right now. Do you trust me? And in the last few weeks, my daughter has just occasionally started to say, okay. And I tell you what, whoa, my heart is like exploding with joy. Because it's not just, oh, thank goodness for that. That was hard work. It's I want her to know life. I want her to trust her father and to know you come with me. You do what I say. It'll be better for you. And often that is no. Okay. And I tell you, it is joy. I've got a 10-year-old and more and more and more he says, okay. Because he's learned to trust his father. He learns, I love you. I'm for you. And that's what the Christian life is. More and more, okay. Okay. I'm not going to go against. I'm not trying to go this way, uphill. I'm with you. Okay, I give in. I let you take control. I put on the new self. And I go your way. I stop trying to fight against you. Some of you, you just need to stop fighting against his love. And recognize, okay. Finally, how do we do this? Paul's plea to the Ephesians is that they have learned what? They've learned Jesus. This is not how you learned Jesus. What a great phrase. Not how you've learned Christ. And as they've learned Jesus, they've learned him a certain way. This is not how you learned Christ. How did they learn him? They learned him adoring him, being amazed by him, humbled by him, seeing him as Lord and Savior. They learned him by bowing the knee and letting him rule and reign. It goes on to say in that passage, um, uh, assuming that you have heard, and that word about is not actually in the Greek, so it is assuming that you have heard him. Remember Paul who said, we preach Christ. That's what we do. We speak about him. We speak him. We, we exemplify him. We tell you him. And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, this is the one time in the whole book of Ephesians that it doesn't say Christ. It doesn't say Jesus Christ. It doesn't say our Lord Jesus. It just says Jesus. The truth is in a person. It's in relationship. It's in him. It's in the reality of who he is. We, we walk with him. How have you come to learn him? Do you know him? Are you convinced by him? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Because it says in Hebrews 12, the author says this, let us Strip every weight that slows us down. This is the NLT. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How do we do this? It says this in the next bit. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Wow. How do we do this? We look at the one who showed us, this is what happens if you trust the Father. I came out the other side. I, I trusted him unto death. 
I, I went the distance. Is it worth it? Is it safe? Yeah, look at how, what happened to Jesus when he did that. Resurrection life came. God wants you to have resurrection life. What motivates us to trust God? We're asking, don't we often ask, is it worth it? Is it worth me letting go? Is it worth me trusting him? Is it worth me you know, going with God's way? I want to go my way. Is it worth it? Will it be worth it? Will I get a good deal? I'll miss out on this thing. I'll, I'll miss out on that. The resurrection is our answer. The resurrection is Jesus has vindicated as he trusted the Father and was brought back to life. And in him, we have resurrection life. God is restoring his image in us. He's resurrecting what is dead and turning the world the right way up. When we walk in righteousness and holiness, we experience life in fullness. We bear fruit that is ours in Christ. Love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness. These things blossom. They spring forth out of us as we put our trust in him and embrace the new identity of the one who said, okay. Who said, okay, to the Father. Okay at every turn so that where we haven't said okay, where we've stamped our foot and said, no, my way, we can be forgiven. We can know freedom. We can know, I got it wrong. But God, thank you. You've brought me into this life that I can step into more and more. I can put on the new self. I can trust you. I can walk your way and know fruit and know life in abundance. It's because he said, okay, that we know okay is good. It's because he said, okay, that we know he can be trusted. It's because he was raised up and honored and seated in glory that we know this is all true and that our hope is secure in him. It's secure in him. It's not, the jury's not still out. He raised from death and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He went to his death trusting the Father, unto death obeyed, submitted, trusted, even when it involved pain and sorrow and suffering and betrayal and accusation. Walking, trusting God will sometimes be painful. It will sometimes be bewildering. If my two-year-old daughter doesn't understand why I turn this thing around and thinks I've got it wrong, because she can't comprehend the wisdom of a 40-year-old man, how much more do we not comprehend the wisdom of the eternal Father? the eternal God, and when he asks us to do things, we think, how could you let that happen? Why would you leave me there? We must come back to, he wants me to have life in its fullness and trust him and to believe him for the hope that is secured in Christ Jesus. There's a, there's a liberal mindset that has come into the church that, yes, I believe, I believe, I believe, I trust, I trust, until I don't like. And then I don't change myself, I change my theology. So that I can carry on. God says, no, that, that's futility. That's futility. We come under his rule and reign to find life in abundance. There's things that we can read in the word and we think, I don't understand that. Then we work to understand it. We don't say, we've got to change this. And where we still won't understand it, we say, I trust you. You went to the cross for me. Jesus was vindicated 
in doing so. Resurrected, conqueror, victor. He ascended to the Father's right hand and is reigning in glory. It says this in Philippians 2, one of our favorite passages. We'll keep coming back to it, I'm sure. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. The mind of the Spirit, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's already yours in Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. No, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he just finishes off with this. Well, I'll finish off with this. Therefore, he says, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, continue, continue. Some of you just need to hear that word today. Keep going. Continue, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to the will and to act, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Let's continue in obedience. Let's continue taking off the old, not conforming to the world, not giving in to the pressures, recognizing, yes, I'm swimming against the current. Yes, that's tiring sometimes but I'm taking off the old. It's futile. It's rotten. I'm putting on the new. I recognize who I am in Christ. I'm a completely new creation with a new reality, and I want to walk in that reality. Life in Christ is life. It is the end of futility. How amazing is that? He has saved me from waste. He has saved me from impotence, fruitlessness, and into into fruitfulness. How amazing. You don't need to fall into escapism. As I was preparing, I felt for some of you, it's, it's escapism. You, you, you're fearful that you, you might, if you looked at your life, you might find, I think it's empty. It's futile. There's nothing of worth in there. No, but when you walk in the goodness of what he has given you, you find that's no longer a problem. I find in him, there is life in abundance. There is purpose. There is meaning. In Christ, you can look deep and hard and find fruit, find fruit, find power, find love and peace and joy and purpose and meaning if you are determined to walk in your new clothing. So let's pray. And perhaps we could finish with, with a song. Let's pray. Father, we want to. Some of us just want to stop fighting. Stop being determined to say, I know better. And stop running from the God of love and life and towards futility. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to keep looking to Jesus and seeing a brother who showed us you are trustworthy. You are good. You bring life. You bring resurrection. You bring hope. You bring fruit. Holy Spirit, we pray, help us to be determined to walk in our new clothes. 
to really trust that you're for us, to really trust that you want our best in every way. Help us to put on this new man. Help us to grow up into Christ. Help us to not be satisfied with nice. Help us to not be satisfied with towing the line, but to say, I've got things to fight for. I've got things to keep striving for in Jesus. He has got great things for me, for this church in this town. Come and accomplish your will through this people, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.